Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome on in to the second episode this week of the Baseball Insiders. What's up to you, Alex? What's up, everybody, in the comments? Welcome to the show. I'm Adam Weinerb alongside Fansided's MLB Insider, Robert Murray, as always. And we were just with you Tuesday. We were hoping some news would break. Uh, guess what? Wednesday and Thursday, February 22nd and 23rd, not exactly a hotbed of breaking news. We pulled together a great show for you anyway. And uh, no better time than the present to like and subscribe to the channel. Get the alerts. We're here every Monday and Thursday uh, at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Robert, what's going on, man? How are you How are you dealing with the dearth of news over the last couple of days? Oh, it's been completely overwhelming. I, I cannot get over it. It feels like it's mid-trade deadline or even winter meetings like. But no, it's being completely serious. This is about as slow as it possibly can get. This is like watching paint dry, but hey, we got baseball. We got baseball tweets in the air. Can't go wrong. How you doing, Adam Weiner? Always, always a pleasure being here with you. Doing good. Always a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, yeah, I got a new tooth capped up uh, last time we had our uh, last time we had our Tuesday show. I was headed to get numbed up at the dentist. Uh, got her done, uh, as they say. Uh, tooth is good. Tooth is polished. Uh, I don't want to be thinking about it anymore, so I won't be. Uh, but that is not one of the buzziest storylines of this spring training so far, I would say. Uh, my dental visit really not registering. Nobody in Arizona is talking about it, right? Like you're out there. It's, it's not the talk of camp. Uh, I would disagree with that. I've had uh, numerous different people either come up to me or even ask um, like via text, is Adam okay after his tooth operation? And everything I was told uh, from my sources close to Adam was that he was indeed okay. So um, yeah. people, people want to know about Adam Weiner, but I can't blame him. He was. It was a simple one, and luckily we'll be able to move on uh, from here to the task at hand. Uh, we figured we'd break things down for you today uh, and talk about, try to synthesize the top five storylines that have emerged so far at spring training that have sort of dominated the chatter on both coasts. Uh, I've got my personal list. Robert, anything you want to chime in with that I missed over the course of the show? Uh, we will circle back and make sure we fill it in. Might not be five, might end up being six, could be seven. You never know. But never know. I tried to come up with a personal top five, what I'm hearing, what it feels like people are buzzing about. And I also came up with an alternate list of my favorite generic spring training storylines. Uh, I'm going to try to rank those for everybody because I I've, I never get tired of those, honestly. I don't believe them when I hear them, but I never get tired of them. No, and I mean, there's there's obvious springs training storylines that always get repeated, and it's just like I don't know. It it either drives me nuts or it makes me laugh. It's it's one or the other. I freaking love it though, because um, it's like for an for the entire off season, you basically get all just speculation and rumors, and then like you can actually like see these people now in pictures. You can see them in person, and you can like I don't know. It's I don't know. I fr- I just freaking love it. Just baseball's in the air. Um, but I will say this. If there is one storyline that I'm watching going into this, 
Mr. Weinrub, I'm going to jump right into this if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Let's roll. So it is how the New York Mets replaced Jacob deGrom. Um, obviously, they re- they signed Justin Verlander to the to a deal with the biggest AAV in baseball history. Um, and then you end up getting Senga. You get uh, Jose Quintana. Like, they added not only, like, a headline, like, dominant ace in Verlander, uh, but they added two really good, strong pieces. Um, well, all right. Well, I got – I guess I got I – I guess I got plans later this week. Um, but, but anyways um, – I think the Mets are going to be more than okay without Jacob deGrom. Um, obviously, we've like he had that injury risk the last couple of years and immediately popped up with the Rangers, but they've emphasized it's more caution than anything. Um, and Verlander is, I mean, he's always, he's extremely good. Uh, he was, he's been very good. He's um, about as dependable as it gets when he's healthy. And for the most part, he's been healthy uh, besides having that Tommy John surgery. Was it two years ago now? Um, I, I think the Mets are going to be in really good shape. I really do. Um, I think they're confident in their rotation. The only concern that I have is how it's going to hold up long-term uh, in terms of their age. Uh, Cause they're, I believe they're all 30 or above and Sango who's the youngest at age 30 um, reportedly, according to John Heyman had an iffy physical. Um, so that's, that's always a concern, but I think they're going to end up being okay. Might not necessarily be a smooth ride. I would imagine there's going to be injuries along the way just because that's what tends to happen during a 162-game season. But um, losing Jacob deGrom is a big blow, but they did about as much as they could have um, to overcome that and, and then some. I'm curious what you think on that, Adam. Yeah, that was definitely one of the, the five that I was looking at because every story you read is sort of, you know, it, it's almost like deGrom – was never a Met at all. Like, you're not really reading stories. I think you did a great job, you know, putting your finger on the pulse and saying, like, oh, by the way, this was all to replace DeGrom, because a lot of these stories are just Scherzer's competitiveness. You know, Verlander and Scherzer, the two bulldogs. Like, they were teammates in 2013. They didn't really like each other. Do they like each other now that they're older? Like, they have to carry this weight. And, and like, are the people behind them really going to be able to relieve them of that weight? Senga, you mentioned the, the iffy physical. Uh, there was also a report that he had to make serious adjustments the first time he was on a big league mound. And his first bullpen session maybe didn't go great because it just felt different. Um, so if <laughs> I think we're going to be hearing a lot about, and we already are hearing a lot about, the maturity of Verlander and Scherzer, how, how they're going to be able to play off each other or how they're going to be able to deal with not playing off each other. Because what we heard is that in 2013, they were very competitive with one another and weren't necessarily working in tandem. Uh, There was also somebody floated, obviously Max Scherzer has an opt-out. They sort of floated that to him and said, you know, how you feel. And he was very steadfast, did not have the same responses as, say, Manny Machado. Uh, Feels like he's sort of in this for as long as he has to be. Uh, but yeah, Scherzer, Verlander, Senga, it's an extreme, it's an unbelievably talented top three, but can they harness that fire? Can they, you know, relive their youth without the follies of youth? Can they work off each other better than they did last time? Uh, it's going to be fascinating. It really is. And like, and you mentioned those three and rightfully so, but I think the guy that's been really slept on is Jose Quintana. Um, he, 
there was a lot of teams that were interested in him during this offseason. Like he drew more interest than I think people realized. Um, and he was a target of, like, I mean, the Cardinals, the Blue Jays were in. Um, there was a plethora of other teams. Even the Pirates were in. Like they made a relatively competitive offer for Quintana. Um, but ultimately, he ended up going over to the Mets and he's dependable, he's durable. Um, he's basically the steady veteran. And I've heard from numerous people close to Quintana or just who have been around him that he is about as good of a clubhouse presence as you can get. And, you know, some stories can like New York, it's, it seemed like for a while there that the Mets were always like in a PR disaster. Um, Quintana is about as steady as you can get. Like you don't have to worry about him with anything. And he's, he's a really strong locker room leader. Um, and especially come late in the postseason, that's going to end up being, a, I think, a pretty big key for them. It is kind of hilarious how quickly the pendulum has veered back. Because last uh, summer, when we were talking about Quintana as a potential trade target for teams like the Yankees specifically, the fan sentiment was, nope, you're not shooting high enough. We do not want that. Not a high enough ceiling. No, thank you. Then he dominated for two months with the Cardinals becomes this sought after asset yet again. And somebody who you start to hear all the positive stories, great clubhouse guy. You know, you hear that more when the pitcher's pitching well, rather than when they're struggling. Uh, So now everything is sort of coalescing around Quintana again. Uh, That brings me into uh, the storyline. The the second one I pinpointed uh, because it has to do with the Yankees and it has to do with their current roster the left field stuff is really getting sort of out of control. Uh, before spring training, the assumption was the Yankees don't have a left fielder. Uh, Aaron Hicks, one of those guys in the mix, had a terrible year last year, opened up to the Yankees beat right over the athletic this week, basically said what we all know, said it sucked. It sucked being me last year. We get it. Um, but not somebody you can count on at this point. Oswaldo Cabrera, also an internal option, played left field because he had to last year, but is a utility infielder. So you make him your starting left fielder, maybe the bat follows, but you're losing potential reps at second, third, short. You're losing a lot of flexibility if all of a sudden this rookie infielder is your starting left fielder. Those options were less than appealing. This week, the A's threw an additional wrench in the mix and said they'd consider Giancarlo Stanton in right field and Aaron Judge in left on occasion. Harrison Bader in center or potentially Bader in left judge in center seems like a downgrade because you lose Bader's defense in center judge is not Bader judge is playing out of position you might as well play him at the easier one and left but all of these machinations were to put Stanton in right and maybe Glaber Torres could DH maybe you rotate the DH maybe sometimes it's DJ LeMayhew all of this is kind of appealing in theory especially when you think of left field going from a hole to Aaron Judge while Giancarlo Stanton takes over right field. But as, a, as someone who's embedded with the Yankees, this is dominating my timeline. I can't envision it working for more than two weeks at a time before something goes wrong. I don't know how you feel about that. But it, it's interesting to hear it floated. But then when you actually see it, is that ever going to be more than four straight games where that happens? I, I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. And I'll tell you, I, if, if I was running the Yankees, and, and spoiler alert, I'm not. Um, not yet. Not yet. That's true. You, you never know. Um, I would. I would not put Aaron Judge in center field. That just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. And you just signed him for what three hundred sixty million. Um, and you signed him primarily for his bat. Like he's definitely a capable defender, but you signed him primarily for his bat. What he can do for the lineup. 
you don't mess with him and put him in center field because that's just going to add to the wear and tear um, on his body. You, you acquired Harrison Bader last year for Jordan Montgomery for a reason, for his defense in center field. They thought his offense had more upside, um, but defensively is a stud in center field. You keep him there. They should have, in my opinion, either added a guy like David Peralta. They should have tried to trade for a guy like Max Kepler. Um, they should have added somebody. So you can end up um, not having to play all these chess pieces in different areas. And I know it's complicated. Like they got to worry about luxury tax purposes too. Um, and it's, it, it's going to be difficult to shed some of that salary just because it's either going to require moving Josh Donaldson or Aaron Hicks who are borderline untradeable. Um, so it's a difficult position for Brian Cashman to be in, but you know what? That's they sh- they should add a left fielder. They should add another outfielder because I think that's going to be an issue that really presents itself over the season here. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My only additional take on this is that I hope, and I think they hope, that that David Peralta-like left field addition is Rafael Ortega, who was a Cub who was non-tendered, and I, you know, sometimes Bill Simmons will get on his podcast. He'll say, "Don't aggregate this." I want everybody to aggregate this because I want to be, <laughs> I want to be the one on this first before most other people are. Ortega is only one season removed, 2021, from posting a 121 OPS plus, 11 homers, 33 ribs, 291 average, 823 OPS, coming from the left side of the plate. You put him with the short porch in Yankee Stadium as long as he's tolerable defensively. I feel like he can make some noise in the Gio Urshela, Luke Voigt mold of people coming out of nowhere to help the Yankees out. Um, you know, the next man up 2019 season. Who's starting in the outfield that year? It's Mike Talkman and Cameron Mabin. Like, it, there hasn't always been a big star in left field. I think that's an issue this team needs to correct, and they need to find somebody who can bat from the left side of the plate. Joey Gallo is supposed to be the guy. Uh, I don't know if anybody watched any Yankee games last year. Was Joey Gallo the guy? I feel like he probably wasn't. Um, you know, I feel like he struggled a little bit last year. Yeah, but... he, he's, you know what? He just couldn't get right. He scuffled. He scuffled a little bit. Uh, he kept a low profile, so nobody noticed. The whole stadium never booed him. Uh, and he never said he was being threatened when leaving his New York apartment. If that would happen, surely we would have heard about it. But I feel like Rafael Ortega is a really interesting piece here. Um, because we've seen the Yankees sort of unlock these marginal players in the recent past. And Ortega, even last year in a down year, the walk rate was way up there. Uh, 90th percentile in all of Major League Baseball, 82nd percentile in whiff rate. Don't say I didn't warn you. No, and I'll tell you, you want to know what popped into my head as you were talking about that is they should add a left fielder who bats from the left side, Brett Gardner. Um, I know Yankees fans are going to be thinking that too. Uh, That's that's not going to happen, but you know what? That just popped into my head. Well, they finally gave away Brett Gardner's locker this week in spring training to Aaron Hicks. So very timely. Yeah, no, no doubt. I'm telling you that's God almighty. What, what a, what a time to be alive. Is there actually, so let's, let's say this, Adam, if the Yankees did add 
an outfielder, anyone that's realistic, of course, who would it be for you? I didn't like Kepler that much. I think that's the that was the issue with me trying to get over the hump this offseason. I think there is a chance that in the middle of May, you look at the left field production on the current roster and you go, yeah, Kepler would be better than this. Let's let's go do it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was interested in Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas on Arizona for a while. Um, yeah. It doesn't necessarily solve the handedness issues. Uh, Ian Happ would be the perfect fit for this roster. That's yeah. Too. yeah. That, I mean, that's the guy, if you're looking at upside all-star, but not Brian Reynolds, you know, you don't have to sell a top two prospect, although you never know what Ian Happ's going to eventually command. Uh, if, if I had, you know, if I had this season play out the way I'd want it to, I would want the, the Cubs to offload Ian Happ at the summer deadline. Yeah. I'll tell you like last year, I thought that was actually going to happen when the Cubs ended up moving Ian Happ. Um, but that, ultimately that didn't end up happening. I think this year, I mean, if the Cubs are out of contention, that's the thing is like the Cubs, they, they built themselves like a a pretty solid roster here. Like obviously there's still holes and they're far from complete. um, But I think they're going to have a chance to be much more competitive than they were last year. And if let's say they're hovering around 500 at the deadline, do they move a galley Ian Hap? I don't know. But if they, if they do entertain that, I would, I would go on to imagine here that the Yankees would be pretty heavily interested yeah, and they bought themselves a little goodwill with the Cubs last year by giving them Hayden Wesneski for a reliever. Uh, Wesneski probably going to break camp in that Cubs rotation. Uh, shout out to the commenters, too. We got two different people saying, oh, sure, during that Ortega rant. Uh, I'm not sure what that's referring to. If- uh, that, I'll, I'll, I'll explain that one. Uh, Max Hilbert, once again, is uh, one of my – he's my best friend. Um, Good. I've known Max since I was five, and then Mustache. Uh, just so happens to be another fellow named Nathan Much. Both of those guys are coming out here um, during my vacation in the middle of in the middle of March, and we're going to be living up, going to watch a little jackpots action. So let's go, boys! Oh, great. Okay, I was worried we had the O'Shore robots in here making fun of me, but if no one's laughing at me and they're laughing at Robert, then you know what? We love. Oh, them. they're always laughing at me. I mean, yeah. how can you not laugh at me? You can also everybody <laughs> can laugh at me too. I don't mind. Uh, I I promise. Um, the the third storyline that I wanted to pinpoint. We did talk a lot about uh, on the last episode, but it did feel like it merited mentioning again, just because it's not quite still the on-field chatter is being dominated by this off-field contractual, uh, you know, uh, opt-out situation and, and mostly the arbitration process. Um, Everybody's talking about Manny Machado's contract for good reason. Uh, It seems like he's handling that process business-like very well. Um, he even had a video where they, they got to him in the clubhouse and he said, it's a business. I get it, but they do seem to be quite far apart at this point in time. Uh, different story on the arbitration side of things. We talked about Corbin Burns who very well might've sealed his fate in Milwaukee with, uh, the contract standoff and then what he had to say in the wake of that contract standoff. And then just this morning, Ray's reliever, Ryan Thompson put together a really long thread describing the arbitration process, basically detailing how the Rays, A, won their case, and B, took $200,000 away from him, which is such a marginal amount of money. But it was very enlightening. He talked about how the arbitrators responsible for the case maybe didn't know baseball quite so well. And so the Rays were using stats like blown saves to devalue a middle reliever. And you could see the arbitrators perking up being like, ooh, wow, blown saves, that's bad. And they used like fan graphs meltdowns, which like, 
I don't know. You and I talk a lot of baseball. Do we ever cite Fangraphs meltdowns? No, I, I can't say that I've ever cited that in a story or even on the pod. Um, yeah, that, that's a unique one, uh, to say the least. I've never heard of something like that. No, uh, but apparently that was the central part of their argument, and it all eventually resulted in them taking 200K away from Ryan Thompson. Uh, and part of it was they said he wasn't used against lefties. That was their own doing. So that was the Rays not using him against lefties so they could eventually argue the data showed he couldn't do it when he never really got a chance to do it. So all this to say we are still talking, even though players are reporting to spring training, they are stretching out. They're finally getting out there. This arbitration thing and, and the way that it's starting to fracture uh, maybe ahead of the next CBA talks is sort of worrisome. It is. And I've heard some very interesting thoughts from different people. And I'm going to, this is going to be a long rant. So I, I'm just going to forewarn you at this point is arbit- arbitration. It seems like over the last couple of years, we've really gotten to see the impact it's had on the player and team relationship. We've saw it. We especially have seen it in Milwaukee uh, with how it impacted Josh Hader's relationship um, with the Brewers organization and ultimately led to his trade. Now we've seen it with Corbin Burns um, and we're not, it's not going to impact this year because everything that I have heard is that Burns, he's putting it past him. Um, he's moving on. Uh, the Brewers are doing the same thing. It's basically turning the page business as usual. But I wonder if that is going to be something that a year from now, or maybe a little bit after that, we see Burns traded. Um, and I, I would not rule anything out in that regard. Um, but I'll, I will say with Ryan Thompson, that was probably the most I've ever seen a player open up on what the exact process is. It opened up a lot of eyes, myself included, and, and even I'm sure fans across baseball. And it's why that I've heard from the agent side. I've heard this from numerous different agents that want arbitration hearings like televised so people can see the exact shit show that it is. Um, and I think, I think it would be awesome. Um, I think it would be, pretty damning to hear just about how these teams talk to talk about the players to their faces. There's, there's no chance in heck that major league baseball or the teams would agree to that. So like that idea is not going to happen, but man, I'll tell you if those things went, if they were public or if they were televised like that, Oh boy, I would, that would be, that would be very interesting to say the least, but um, yeah, I'm rooting for it one day at least. True baseball nerd shit. It only took 20 minutes on the show for us to get to arbitration C-SPAN, basically. <laughs> like, put the political junkies in one room. You guys can watch your you know, Supreme Court filings and amicus wow. briefs. And we'll watch, uh, we'll watch Ryan Thompson and his lawyers getting in the room with the Tampa Bay Rays, sipping their iced coffees and, and figuring out how many fan graphs meltdowns to bring up. What the heck? Sorry. I got do your thing real quick. Yeah, of course. I'll set up the, the uh, final two uh, storylines that we're looking at, or at least I'm looking at. I feel like we're stuck in the NL East a lot here. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because the New York Mets are the loudest team in the baseball landscape by far. They always will be. They're a year away from the Shohei Otani pursuit. And you still have Steve Cohen just sort of saying, I'll talk about that next year. But obviously... Uh, He kind of wants to talk about it. He wants to get asked about it. But what about the two teams that maybe steal fewer headlines than the Mets, but also seem like they have 100-win rosters entering this season? Maybe that's too generous for the Philadelphia Phillies, 
But then again, they were the team that came out of the National League last year. Like, I think the Phillies get a little bit lost and a little bit disrespected because the Braves and Mets probably have more complete rosters. You know, I think we can probably agree on that. But the Phillies are the NL champs and they added Trey Turner, right? So I feel like there's a lot of chatter about the Braves juggling Sean Murphy and Travis Darno. And there's a lot of chatter about Trey Turner and the Phillies potentially being able to repeat. Is it skill? Is it luck? How sustainable is the Dave Dombrowski model? What are you seeing so far about the number two and number three teams chattering in the NL East? Because I feel like that three-team race is dominating the conversation so far. Oh, it absolutely has. And um, I also want to say thank you for letting me do what I just did there. Uh, and you, you did a fine job covering for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, the I'll, I will say the Phillies are one of the most interesting teams in baseball. Obviously, they ended up going to the World Series last year, and um, they, they had a very talented team uh, to get there. And then they had Trey Turner, who I have been on the record plenty calling the best shortstop in baseball. Um, what he can do defensively, his athleticism is bad. Um, I don't think there's another shortstop like that. Um, so adding him to that position only makes their offense stronger. I mean, when Bryce Harper eventually returns, you have Harper, you have Schwarber, who's one of the best power hitters in baseball. You have JT Ruimudo, you have Reese Hoskins, um, you have Trey Turner. I'm forgetting another one in there. Um, but anyways, the, the Phillies offense, it's loaded. And then they have also, their, their pitching is really good. Um and they, I mean, I think an Aaron Nola extension is going to happen before opening day. I, that's at least it's it's pointing in that direction. Hmm. Um, that that division is fascinating because you have the Mets who have spent more money than basically any anybody in, in baseball history. You have the Phillies who are already really good, and you had the best shortstop in baseball. Then you have the Braves and the Braves Foundation, um, which um, I, I will say it's. I have no idea how that division is going to play out. If I acted like I did, I would be lying. Um, but that's going to be one that is going to go from what one to 162. And I don't think any team's going to really run away with it. Um, but also Andrew painter, that is a dude that the Phillies rightfully. So are really, really, really freaking high on and rightfully. So. Yeah, Andrew Painter, I feel like, is actually the – like, you always hear one rookie's name more than the rest during early spring training, and he's the one. He's he's still 19. He, yep. he hit 100 the other day. He also went viral for an interview where they asked him what type of music he liked to listen to, and he said old stuff, like 2010s, uh, which just made me want to, like, absolutely eat glass. But I guess that's what 19-year-olds say, and that's what 19-year-olds think is old music, and that's great. <laughs> Um, yeah. All eyes it on me. Hmm? It made me feel old. That, that's for sure. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. By the way, I'll give you another picture that I've heard a lot of buzz about early on in spring training. Here is uh, is Kyle Harrison with the Giants. Yeah, um, that he is going to be a dude. Um, he is he's going to be really good. He's he's regarded by that organization as the best pitching prospect uh, since Madison Bumgarner. And I was I was on the um, the radio the other day with Kerry Crowley, who's a good friend of mine, um, pretty Giants focused, and he gave me this this scenario for them. You have Logan Webb, and you have Kyle Harrison coming up. Basically, Harrison can be their version of Bumgarner, and Logan Webb can end up being, let's say, like their their Matt Kane or like a little bit above that. Mm-hmm. Should they try to replicate their past models 
and try to go get like a Corbin Burns type to make it a three-headed duo atop the rotation who can basically be their version of Tim Litsicum when it, from like 2010, 12, and 14 when they won the World Series. It was an interesting thought by him. Like, it's not going to happen before the season. Like, I want to I make that abundantly clear. Like, Burns isn't going anywhere right now. But um, let's say after the year or maybe, like, even at the, the trade deadline, what is it, 2024? Boy, my years are all screwed up now. But anyways, um, maybe that becomes an idea. Who knows? But um, it was an interesting idea that he presented nonetheless. Yeah, it makes you think, who's the Ryan Vogel song? Like a Merrill Kelly type, like just some underrated junk baller who never finds it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this guy's a three and a half year. All right. Yeah, damn it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you had a Jonathan Sanchez type who throws like 148 pitch no hitter. I can't remember what it was with like nine walks. That yeah. was freaking unbelievable. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Those Giants teams were fun. Um, those like my dad's a huge Giants fan. I got to watch those games with him growing up. So that was um, I have very fond memories of those teams for sure. Yeah, I miss Linscombe like every single day. Like I get it, but I I miss Linscombe all yeah. the, all the damn time. Yeah, big time Timmy Jim. I mean, you can't go. Yeah, God, you gotta love him. That hair. That, that's just you miss when there are baseball players you can't replicate, and they go away. You're like, oh man, I'll never see that again. And Linscombe is definitely one of those guys. The body type, the personality, the flair, the hair. When he when it finally clicked for him in that first playoff start, like obviously it had already clicked for him in the regular season, but when he had that first moment at home against the Braves, and you were like, "Oh, this guy can do it on the big stage too!" Like that was just so memorable, and it far too short. Oh, it absolutely was because I mean, if if he continues that for what a decade, first ballot Hall of Famer, easy, uh, yeah. And I I still kind of, well, I don't I don't know if he's eligible yet uh, or if he can. Or if he's still eligible, I mean. I think he just fell off the ballot. I mean, you're getting me into my number one baseball nerd rant that would go up on the same channel of the arbitration hearings. But we lost <laughs> somehow an entire generation of like the Hall of Fame talent level pitchers that we grew up with. Almost yeah. all of them are not going to make the Hall of Fame. And it's very odd. No Lincecum, no Felix Hernandez, no Cliff Lee, no Kane. Uh, I mean, Kershaw, no Bumgarner. Like Kershaw and Scherzer and Verlander are going to get in. CC Sabathia is probably going to get in. Halliday already got in. But you definitely have these empty years in the early 2010s where it's, if you went back in time and you're like, Felix and Linscum are not going to make it and they're not going to come close, you would be like, what are you talking about? Johan Santana's not going to the Hall of Fame. What are you talking about? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. No. And I, also, I want to say that you mentioned Cliff Lee. It's my all time favorite left handed pitcher to watch. When he was doing his thing with the Phillies, uh, I mean, well, Cleveland before that too, but man, oh man, I've, I've not had that much fun watching a pitcher or a left-handed pitcher in my life. And they also had, what was it? Cole Hamels during his reign, mm-hmm. um, a Padres legend now. Um, <laughs> Padres <laughs> megastar Cole Hamels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Roy Holiday too. Um, I mean, those pitching staffs were fun as well, but it's crazy to think that not a lot of those guys are heck, not even many of them are going to end up getting, uh, into the Hall of Fame. And Roy Oswald, too. Shout out to Sean Daly for that one as well. I, yeah. I always forget that he was with the Phillies. I always think of him with the Astros and everything. Joe Blanton. Uh, like, nothing but nothing oh, but studs. Good shot. You know it's a good pot when you mention Joe Blanton. Joe Blanton, Kyle Kendrick, Jamie Moyer, all these uh, 
Is Jamie Moore still pitching? Was he now like 55, 60? I think the Yankees scouted Jamie Moore to fill their left field spot, but I don't think it's uh, it's going to happen. Yeah, Adam breaking news in the pod. Yeah. Oh, I mean, is that much more ridiculous than Cole Hamels to the Padres, honestly? We just- honestly I don't know. Yeah, that's – boy, I mean, that – geez. I still can't believe Cole Hamels. I, I, I give credit to Cole Hamels for still pitching. Um, yeah. He's dealt with a lot, and the fact that he's still going at it, trying to get back in the majors, I'm like, you know what? Props. I respect yeah. that. Shout out. Uh, my NL East projections right now, as I see it, I got the Mets in first, Braves in second, Phillies in third, Braves foundation in fourth. Uh, and hopefully we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that all pans out. I mean, it does seem realistic, though, having the Braves Foundation ahead of the uh, ahead of the Nationals. I think the Braves Foundation has a higher payroll than the Nationals, as far as I can tell. God, honestly, that that's, it doesn't even sound far fetched. I think it's real. I don't think that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, can I go on the record with my prediction for the analyst yeah. real quick? All right. So I'll go. I'll go Mets one, Phillies two, Braves three. Wow. That's where I'm at. So I think we flopped, what, two and three? Yeah, just the Phils and Braves. Yeah, exactly. So Probably valid. I mean, I think the Braves are like one pitching injury away from really having to look themselves in the mirror. Like if Freed goes down, do they really – do they get the same year from Strider? I don't know. Like is Michael Harris going to do what he did last year or this year? It's, it's tough. But then again, that system just churns out talent. So I, I think I believe – I think I believe in them in the regular season, but I believe in the Phillies in the postseason. I think, you know what, that, yeah, I think that's exactly how I think too. I, I think you summed that up really well. So, And also, is, how is Vaughn Grisham going to end up doing replacing Dansby Swanson? That's another yeah. big key for them. It's it's another, it's a clubhouse maneuver. It's like, can you just put a rookie in the place of a clubhouse leader? Some metrics would say that you can. Others would say that maybe the Braves are going to miss Dansby Swanson a little bit. Uh, but they were able to absorb Freddie Freeman's loss last year with a superstar in Matt Olson, and then Vaughn Grisham... Uh, that's a heavy crown to have to wear for the kid. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm curious to see how he does. He's been working with Ron Washington, and from every everything I've heard, the Braves like what they've seen from Von Grisham. And, um, and, and Ron Washington doesn't just throw out compliments, just to throw out compliments. Like, he's not afraid of saying how he feels. So the fact that he's been praising uh, Grisham both pri- privately and publicly, I think that bodes pretty well for what's to come here, but we'll have to see. Agreed. Uh, and our final storyline just a little bit about rotation depth being tested already. The, probably the only real piece of news to come out this week between episodes was that Lance McCullers Jr. of the Astros going to miss opening day and a little bit longer with an elbow strain. Probably the first of many major pitcher injuries we hear about this spring. Uh, Jacob deGrom is back on the mound after we sort of ragged on him a little bit. But, it, you know, spring training is a war of attrition, just like the regular season is. Some of these rotations are going to get tested. The Astros are now missing Verlander permanently and McCullers for at least a bit. Although if anyone can weather the storm, it's the damn Houston Astros who have pitching for days, years, and centuries. Uh, does that lower the Astros ceiling for you at all? Or are people just going to quickly realize that like, Oh, Hunter Brown is also insanely good. I think people are going to realize just how good Hunter Brown is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I, I don't, that doesn't move the needle for me at all. Like obviously having Lance McCullers is a good thing for them. Cause you can never have enough pitching depth. Um, and we also don't know exactly how long he's going to be out, do we? I know they've they've given like a a few week estimate or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine they're they're probably going to be pretty careful with him, considering the injury history that he has. I wondered if they could possibly be a candidate to add. I don't know, outside the rotation or outside the organization, like 
know, Chris Archer. I mean, that's just like a one that popped into my head randomly. Uh, kind of seems like a guy that Houston could end up trying to do good things with, but um, they have the internal pitching depth, especially with Hunter Brown to like overcome this, uh, especially in the short term, long term, we'll have to see, but um, yeah, I'll tell you what the work that those front offices have done, Jeff Lunau, James Click, uh, still, that's still bizarre to me that he's not there after winning the world series, but now having Dana Brown, um, they're, they're in really good hands. They've been in good hands. Yeah, I'm not worried about the rotation at all. No, not in the least. It's just a chance to learn some new names that are going to torment you for the rest of the season. Um, those are our storylines so far. More coming every week and hopefully more arriving by next week. We'll feel uh, we'll be excited to break them down for you as well as any news that breaks over the weekend. Before we go, I wanted to talk through my favorite generic spring training storylines because this is our promise on this podcast you're not going to be getting the generic shit from us. We're not going to do it. We're not getting fooled. You read these buzzwords in a headline and, and you're just, you know, it's catnip. People grab onto them and talk about them. We're not going to talk about them. We're not going to do it. Uh, these are the generic spring training storylines. You're going to read, no matter what your team is, you're going to read each one of these for your specific team about a different player. We did best shape of his life on last episode we actually did talk through guys who were in the best shapes of their lives uh, <laughs> we, did, we don't yeah. need to do it again uh i also want to bring to your attention and fill in any gaps that i miss uh but fresh start in a new place obviously uh true for some people not for others some people go to a new place it's the exact same nothing changes 28-year-old rookie killing it in camp. Bonus points if it's a first-rounder from 2011, who you kind of remember. And so the team that drafted him gets to also write, like, oh, we now have to regret blowing this because he's got an 0.34 ERA in 12 spring innings in somebody else's camp. Probably not going to end up mattering. Ill-advised trash talk from a fourth-place team. That's always fun. Not going to cover it. Player who found the one tweak this offseason that could change everything. Why didn't you find it last season? Why did it take so long? Pitcher who looks awful is just experimenting. That one always bums me out. Maybe they are, but maybe they're just not ready yet. Uh, Former player comes back as guest instructor, somehow aged 15 years in their three years away from the game. That one's always fun. Dustin Bedroya looks 54 now. And uh, player signing staged autographs for kids for a social media account. I don't know if you got autographs as a kid. But usually the superstar wasn't actually out there signing balls all day and meeting children and meeting players who brought signs that said, please come meet me. And then they go over and have a nice handshake. Mode. Usually the players are just stretching 35 feet away from you. Uh, I don't know if I missed any, but I feel like we covered them and we don't need to talk about any of this anymore. You know, and I, I also I, I have two things about the autograph one. There was I would go to Giants camp in spring training here. And I would try to get Lincecum. I would try to get a lot of these guys. Um, and each time I kept getting Eli Whiteside. I have gotten Eli, I got Eli Whiteside's autograph. I kid you not, probably a good eight times. Um, and, like, God bless him. He signed every single day. Like, he was great for young fans like myself back then. But, man, it was it was a running joke that we had with my, with my mom and dad. Um, and then the other one, too, is the other day the, the Padres – amid all this stuff um, or amid all the, the negotiations with Manny Machado and whatnot, and the rumors, they posted a picture of Manny Machado signing baseballs and then put in the tweet um, like a, like a, a signature emoji with Manny Machado's like Twitter handle. And 
myself and so many others thought he had signed an extension. And it was the biggest tease job of all time. I can only imagine how, how Padres fans felt. Uh, that was, yeah, we, we got royally teased there, but um, yeah, bad at Padres. I don't know who your social media person is, but you fooled me. Yeah, that's why we don't. That's why we don't get fooled by that spring training storyline because you get suckered in uh, when the Padres rub Manny Machado not signing in your face. I have endless embarrassing autograph stories like that. I'll restrict it to a select few because this was just how my childhood went. But that's so the Yankees are tweeting everybody right. Cole signing, Judge is signing, Stanton signing. When I was a kid, the Yankees never signed. I got one autograph at Yankee Stadium during my entire childhood. It was Paul Quantrill. And I like, I almost fainted. I was like, oh my God, Paul Quantrill's coming over and signing. Like I used to want to go to road stadiums because the Yankees wouldn't sign. And so I would just go to somebody else's game and get a different team's autographs and be so excited. I was like, this would never happen to me. And now the Yankees are tweeting, acting like maybe they, hey, maybe they are signing, but that's certainly not the way it used to go. Uh, I went to the all-star game in Houston, 2004 in the autograph scrum, got one signature, the Astros bullpen catcher. Uh, I believe he's still there. His name is Javier Bracamonte. Um, but that was a, that was a really embarrassing one to come away from. Like spending <laughs> two and a half hours in the Houston sun in a group of like eighty people clustered around, and the only person who grabs my ball is the Astros bullpen coach. And I once I got a helmet from that All Star game, and it was my goal to take it around and get it signed by as many members of the two thousand four All Star team as I possibly could. Got Gary Sheffield. I met him at an autograph show, so I didn't have to like work to get that. But I got Gary Sheffield to sign it. It's authenticated and everything. I brought it to a Phillies Brewers game because I wanted to get Dan Kolb, the Brewers closer, to sign wow. it too. Now I know what you're thinking, wow, that automatically devalues that Gary Sheffield signed helmet. Yep, you're smarter than me. You're smarter than 13-year-old me. But I went and tried to do it anyway to make the story even worse. I handed it to a guy I thought was Dan Kolb. Got it back. Wes Helms. Wow. Hey, that's a good one to have. Shout out to yeah, – boy, I was going to list off a team, but he's been with a bunch of different teams. But Good yeah. autograph to have and a good signature, and you love that WH, but not on the 2004 All-Star team. And so as soon as I got that back, I was like, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> What's the point of that? I don't need this. This is doing nothing. No, I'll tell you, you could have given me a thousand guesses on, on who that would have been and Wes Helms. Dude, he was he was sick. When he was hitting tanks, like those things would go a, a mile. So I don't know. I, I don't I do not have Wes Helms' autograph, so I can I can add that I am very jealous. <laughs> Wes Helms did his job. I wanted uh, I wanted Scott Pitsednik, Scotty Potty. I brought him a a, a bottle he didn't sign. Yeah, did not sign. Well, that's not very good. That's not very nice of Scott Pitsenik. But, yeah, I, I will say I do have his autograph, so uh, yeah, take that, Mr. Weinrib. Well, Scott, if you're listening, you can find us live on the Baseball Insider's feed, Mondays and Thursdays, 3.30 Eastern. And one of the two co-hosts of this show does not have your autograph. You'd be an ideal guest. I'd love to talk to you about the time uh, you were on Saturday Night Live after you won the 05 World Series with the White Sox, as long as you mailed me an autograph as well. Uh, or you could just tweet at me. Uh, or Robert, our handles are right below. If you aren't subscribed yet, please subscribe. We're going to be here for all the moments when the offseason really heats up, when the season really gets going, when the trade deadline is upon us. This feed is where you're going to want to be. You can also get the audio feed if you missed the live stream on all podcast platforms. But we want to thank everybody for getting those views up, getting the subscribers up. We passed 900 this week. Felt good. 
we want a thousand, so bring it to us. Uh, and only you can prevent forest fires and can also help us get past that subscriber number. Tell your friends, tell your family, like, retweet, hit the buttons, hit every button. Robert Murray, the show does not happen without the audience. The show does not happen without you. Thanks so much, man. Again, for getting it done. It's it's all credit to you, my friend. Uh, team effort here. Always a pleasure. But we appreciate all you guys for tuning in, getting us to 900 subscribers. Hopefully we get a thousand soon because um, I like to eat. And uh, yeah. Yeah. and Adam said if we don't get to a thousand subscribers soon, uh, he won't let me eat. So, uh, yeah, please, please get us what a hundred more. Yeah, just a hundred more. Easy. There we go. Fingers crossed. But we know all jokes aside, we appreciate everybody as always. We appreciate everybody. Everybody on this podcast can eat. Everybody in the comments can eat. You guys can all eat. I, I will let you eat. Uh, before I'll, I'll sign off, obviously a burner. Uh, yeah, the Gary signing was in New Jersey. Why were you there? Why are you asking me that? <laughs> wow, dude, that's so, dude, shout out to obviously a burner. But yeah, no, you're right, obviously a burner. Somebody does need to pay for my Chipotle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, now that I remember, now I'm thinking about it, uh, Mark Carmen, he still owes me Chipotle. Wow, so you he was there. Oh, you were there. Wow. Okay. Well, boy, we could have had obviously a burner's like identity for what, like twenty years almost at this point. But I know it was uh, it was like TriStar Productions. I think I, I met Sheffield. I met uh, John Main at that show. Yeah, it was definitely Zagakis. And I got I got a box of a uh, Sweet Spot two thousand four uh, autographs with the with a piece of a baseball sign of the sweet spot uh, in the, in the card. I can't remember whose signature I got on that ball, but I did. I, I bought that box and I'm at Sheffield and a box of TS and four Bowman draft. And I was a happy little 13 year old boy. Uh, so shout out to obviously burner. You were apparently there as well. Weird as wow. hell. Very dark. Yeah, that's bizarre. That is uh, I'm totally thrown off by that. But sh- once again, obviously a burner shout out to you. You're uh a loyal baseball fan and a loyal baseball insiders fan. And you could have said hi to Adam without even knowing who he was at the time. Obviously, a burner, you are a prime candidate for arbitration TV. Uh, that much, I promise you. You'd be a day one subscriber there. And we thank you for being a day one subscriber here. Until next time, we'll see you on Monday, 3.30 Eastern. Like always, hit that subscribe button. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, everybody.